I need, I need to share, share some background with you, okay? All through the Old Testament, that means pretty much, it means before Jesus was born, okay? So the part of the Bible that was before Jesus was born, the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, the, the Israelites, Jews, Hebrews, whatever you, want, you choose to call them, they, they kind of constantly went back and forth with God. They were a great nation, amazingly blessed by God. And then there would come these times that they would just kind of say, God, we know everything you've done for us in the past, but we're kind of going to do this thing. We, we kind of have some ideas of our own. We want to take it our way for just a little while, God. We're going to, we're going to, we, you know, we're just going to kind of set you off on the shelf a little bit and we're going to do things our way for a little bit. Just, just see, cause we got some, we got some new ideas. We got some new thoughts. I know you've been, you've been amazing to us in the past. I know the history has really been great, but God, we just want to do it our way for a little while. That was the nation that said that. Does that sound familiar today, thinking around, you know, that maybe God will do it our way for a little while? The Jews did this over and over and over before Jesus was, came to the earth in human form. I mean, they did it over and over in the Old Testament. And today, I want to preach to you about one specific instance where he did this. It's where they ignored him and they turned their back on him. And now, a lot of people, they look at this and, and they say, well, God was judging them because they turned their back on him. But you need to look at it a little bit different way. It's like, it is really hard for you to ask someone for a favor that you've been ignoring, you know? And when, when you've been ignoring God, it's kind of hard for you to just show up and start asking for favors, you know, think about that friend that you got, you know, that has been, you know, calling you and texting you and emailing you and Facebook messaging you and all that, and you've been ignoring them, right? And you ignore them for five, and they just keep on, you know, they just, they're trying to make the connection with you, and you ignore them and you ignore them, and then all of a sudden one day you get this awesome job opportunity. You go and you fill out the application, you know, you go through the interview and you think, man, if I just had someone on the inside that could put in a good word for me, and then you think of that friend that you've been ignoring for five years. How do you call them and say, hey, I know I've been ignoring you, you know, I mean, the temptation is to just lie and say, really, you, you've been texting, really, you've been, that's a temptation, right? But how do you really ask that person? I know I've been ignoring you for five years, but I really need this job. I mean, that's, that's a tough thing to do, isn't it? You know, and the Israelites, they couldn't just turn to God all of a sudden and say, hey, 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 you know, and ask him for favors and say, but we're going to keep doing our thing. You know, I'm going to keep ignoring you, but I need you to put in a good word for me. I mean, you can't ask that, can you? And you can't ask God for the same. You can't ignore God and ask God for something in the same breath. So this was the problem as they kept ignoring God, finding themselves in trouble, and then turning back to God. Now, one time this happens, and this is during the time of Nehemiah, is the specific, the specific story that I want to I want to share with you. One time this happens, and, and the Babylonians, this is the Babylonian Empire. They pretty much run over most of the, the known world at that time and, and, and establish their empire. They also come into Israel. They destroy Jerusalem, the capital city. They kind of take all the choice people away. You've, you've heard of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you heard those names before, they took them away, took them to Babylon. So during this time, they did all this. And then 70 years later, and God, God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring somebody else in. 70 years later, the Medo-Persian Empire comes in. Now, some of you, if you can think back far enough, some of us may be struggling with that, but think back all the way back to high school. You've heard some of this, right? You know, Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persians, you know, you've heard some of those things. And so God brings, brings them in, and when he does, Cyrus, the first king, he, he declares that the Jews can now go back to Jerusalem. They can go back and rebuild their city. And so they go back and rebuild it, but it's not without opposition. 
They're rebuilding their city, but there's still a lot of things that aren't right yet. They're rebuilding the temple, but there's still some things that aren't done. And this is where the story picks up in the book of Nehemiah, chapter one. Nehemiah has a couple of friends, and Nehemiah is living in Susa, okay? That's the, the capital, or Susan, that's the capital of, of the Persian Empire. That's where he's living. And he's got a couple of friends that have gone back to Jerusalem. They've come back. And so he asked them, right there in the very first three verses of the, of the book of Nehemiah, this is where it starts. He says, tell me what it's like in Jerusalem. And see, he said, they told me, this is verse three, the survivors of the captivity there in the province. So he's talking about the, they're talking about the Jews that have survived through the Babylonian captivity. Now the Persians are in charge. And those that have survived through this, they're living in great distress and shame. Furthermore, the Jerusalem wall remains broken down and its gates have been burned by fire. I want every one of you right now to do something. I, I want you to just follow me in this, if you will. I want you to think of some place in your life that fits that description right there. That even though, you know, like Moses, maybe, maybe you've begun to turn around and come back and God's letting you come back to your place of purpose, of destiny, but there's still some places in your life that are just like this. I want, I want you to think about what those things are because I, I, I believe God, I want God to do something amazing in your life today. And you know where he's going to do it? He's going to do it in this place. I want you to think about that place that's obstructed distress. You know what distress is, right? I mean, look at the last half of that word right there. Stress, anybody know what stress, anybody got stress today? You know, we know what stress is, right? And be under stress means to be distressed. How many, you know, some of you got some, one of those places you can write that down. It just means to be in trouble, have trouble in your life. Do you have a place like that? I want, I want you to think about that. I want you, is, is that your place? Is that, and some people say, well, you know, my, my, my life's going pretty good. I don't really have a lot of problems. You've got some place in your life that's not 100%. You've got some place in your life that could be better. You've got some place in, in, in who you are that, that God can do something that you need something better. And I want, you, I want you to think about what that is. I want you to name it. I want you to name it, One, that it fits this, this description up here. I want you to name it. You don't have to say it out loud. I just want you to name it in your own heart right now. This is the place that is distressed. Or it says that they were also in shame. And, and, and what this meant was, you know, that, that they were sh ashamed of their city, that they were building their houses yet all around them. But I mean, they, were, they were living in, in, in the destruction of the last army that came through and, and, and just destroyed everything. They were living in that. They were kind of ashamed. I mean, I mean if, you know, if you're a native Birmingham resident, like, you know, I am, grew up in Jefferson County and all that, and, and sometimes, you know, you drive through an area and you think, ah, I wish they'd clean that up, you know? Anybody, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You kind of shame just a little bit, you know? You know, at my house, let me just tell you about how things happen at my house. You know, my wife doesn't normally say, Rick, you need to go do so-and-so. She's normally not quite that out front with, you need to go do it so and so. But it, it happens more like this at my house. Maybe laying in bed right before we go to sleep or something. She'll say something as if almost she's just speaking about something that doesn't even relate to us sometimes. Like, like I wish we could get the backyard cleaned up. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, it sounds like, I wish we could hire somebody to come in. But that's not what it means, is it? 
That's not what he means. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of, I wish we could get the backyard cleaned up, you know? I mean, that, that was a specific one from just a few weeks ago, okay? You know, and, and, and normally that, that's, it's more like that. So, so you know, we, we've been together 36 and a half years. So, you know, she's kind of figured me out a little bit. But so it's normally something like that. But then after a while, you know, if, if I don't, even if I get the message, but I don't follow through, after a while, it becomes more like, you know, I'm really ashamed of how our backyard looks. You know, and so what she's saying is, I don't like the people to see this or whatever. You know, I've got a project going on or I've got something halfway done or something like that. You know, I need to clean this up. And eventually, finally it becomes, I'm ashamed. It's like, we don't want the neighbors looking at that and thinking that and what they're thinking. This is where the Israelites were. They were building their house, but everything around them was, I mean, I mean shame. When, when people drove by, when, you know, people were on their way by to some other place and they came by Jerusalem and saw that, the people in Jerusalem were ashamed. You know why? Because this was the promised land. This, this, this was the holy city of Israel. It was Jerusalem. And they were ashamed that it was in such state. Is that maybe where your place is that you need to write down and think about it? It's because there's some stuff. Yeah, there, there's, some, there's some stuff I'm ashamed of. I, I, I really, I, I'm forgiven. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. You know, I've asked God to forgive me. And, 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 you know, I need to share my story. But there's just so much I, I can't even, there's shame that is there. Is that, is that where you are? Or, or maybe broken down, the walls are broken down. Maybe, maybe that's you. It's, it's the walls are broken down. Things are broken. You know what broken means, don't you? You got broken in your life. You got broken in your home. You got broken in your marriage. You got broken in your finances. You have broken in your career. You have broken in your education. You know, you thought you were doing this and now it's going this way. You have broken in some part of your life. The walls were broken down. Not just broken, but broken down. But broken and broken down. The walls were broken down. And, and what are the walls? The walls are our place of security, right? For them it was. It was a place of security. And their security was gone. You know, Jimmy Evans, he says that the, the number one need of a wife is, is security. If that's true, that means half of you are relating to this right here. You're thinking, I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's an area of my life. I, I, need, I need God to help me with it, and we need some more security. But a lot of you, I mean, we've got some men here also that, that um, some of you, it's, it's your job. You've worked for years in one company and now all of a sudden things are changing and, and some of you have been let go and, and some of you are having your job changed so much you're, you're thinking you're going to have to make a change. And so it's like security, where is it? And it's not just security, the walls are also, you know, like the walls are like the defining area of the city. It's, it, it identifies who the city is, where it starts, where it ends. It's the identity of the city. And so some of you are like, I don't even know who I am anymore. There's been so much bad, so much horrible. I've made so many mistakes that I don't even know who I am anymore. Can, can God fix this? Some of you are asking that question. Can God even fix who I am? I mean, they, they didn't even have the definition of their, their city walls and limits anymore. And that's probably where some of you are. Write that down. Is that the thing? Think of it. What is it? What is it? Oh, there's four things that burn, burn by fire. I mean, isn't, and it isn't the burning. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's like the ultimate. It's the final. It's the complete. It's like an army comes in. They destroy the city. They tear down all the, all the buildings that they can. I mean, they have their, these weapons of mass destruction. Back in those days, they weren't bombs. I mean, they were means of being able to just tear houses and walls and, and buildings down to, to just lay them out level. And then once they were laid out level, then what else you You burn what is left so that the inhabitants, if they come back and they try to gather all the pieces, you can't put them back together because they are totally destroyed. And that's where some of you are. You're looking at your life. You're looking at your past and you're saying, you know, it's not just that it's broken because even if I could find all the pieces, 
I, I couldn't even just bring them here today and, and let the prayer team pray with me. Even if I find all the pieces, I couldn't take them to small group this week and say, help me, because even the pieces, they're, they're, they're burned. They don't fit together anymore. All the pieces of my life are totally destroyed. Somewhere, some way, I, I, I dare every person sitting here with me right now to write it down, to say it in your mind, if not out loud, and say, this is the place. Because, you know, when, when, when it's been burned by fire, there is nothing else that can be done except a miracle. And for some of you today, I'm believing God to work a miracle. Today, you mean in the next 30, 40? No, I'm not talking about necessarily that. I'm saying that God is going to begin a miracle in somebody today. But you have to say, this is the place. Can you name it? Can you, can you just whisper it or name it in, in your mind and in your heart and say, this is the place I need God to do something in my life. That was the state of Jerusalem. And that's the state of most of our lives. And some of you are saying, yeah, but well, we're, we're Christians, pastor. Yeah, I know that. But we're Christians, but we're still living with a lot of this in our life. Come on, amen or oh me. But I mean, we don't like to believe that or like to admit that, but we are. And let me show it to you in this story right here, verse four. Nehemiah said, when I heard this, the state of, of, of Jerusalem, what it was like, he said, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Some days. Uh, you know, in some ways I wish he had said for 30 days or for 21 days or what, you know, give us a number here. You know, it would add a little more oomph to my sermon right now if I could say, oh, he fasted and prayed for 30 days. And then you think about missing meals for 30 days, you're like, ooh, wow, yeah, he was serious, wasn't he? You know, that's you know, kind of like if he'd thrown that in there where I could have some oomph in my sermon. But sometimes I think, though, when we, when we do that, sometimes people do that just to brag a little bit. I fasted for six hours the other day, you know, just kind of bragging a little bit. I, I prayed and I mourned and I wept for two days or what, you know, sometimes I think we just put a number just to kind of brag a little bit or something. But also another problem with putting that number is then we all think it's a formula. If he had said, I prayed and I fasted, just say two days, then a lot of people would say, that's the formula. All I got to do is I got to pray and fast for two days and God's going to do it. It's not that way. It's not about the, the number. It's not about those things. It's about the attitude. And I says, I sat down and I wept. I mourned. I fasted and I prayed. It's not about the number of days. It's not about the words you say. It, those things aren't important. The, the rest of this chapter, chapter one, is about the words that he prayed. The words aren't what important. It's the attitude of your heart. You, you've got to say, and I, I think here's what, here's what Nehemiah is telling us, is I have decided this cannot be. I think that's what happened in him. It's something snapped, and he said, this cannot be. This is my city, Jerusalem, that they're talking about. This cannot continue. Can I tell you something too? Is that there is nobody else in this room or in this world that is going to stand up in your situation, that thing that you say, this has got to, there's nobody else that is going to stand up and say, this cannot be. You have to be the Nehemiah in your own situation. You've got to stand up and you've got to say, this cannot be. This has to change. This situation in my family has to change. This situation in my finances has to change. This, this about my future, my decisions, my career, my education. This cannot be anymore. You have to make the decision. You have to stand up. You have to put your feet down and you have to say, this has to change. See, the, 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 the Jews that were already living there in Jerusalem, 
They had gone there, they'd started building their houses, yet they had all this junk all around them. Boy, and if you read the story there, it's just a few chapters. I encourage you to read the story of Nehemiah. I preached on it a lot when I was a young minister. There is so much that is there that they were having to deal with, and it'll just relate to your stories if you'll just think about it in those terms of what, what, what you need God to do today. And, and they were dealing with all this stuff, but the Jews, they were there, and they weren't doing anything. It is, it is as if they were just comfortable being in Jerusalem, almost like, well, it don't look pretty here in Jerusalem, but at least we're back home. You know, kind of that attitude. And I see that in a lot of Christians today. My life is a mess. My marriage is falling apart. My finances are horrible, but at least I'm in church today. I am glad you're in church today. But Jesus Christ did not die just to redeem your future. He died to restore who you are. And he doesn't just want you in church today. He wants you in church today. He wants you as the church today. And he wants to restore and that's really what redeem means. He wants to redeem all of it, but I think we understand it better with this word restore. Jesus Christ wants to restore all of that that has been destroyed in your life. All that stuff that you're hearing, hearing the, your, the enemies of, 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 your, of who you are yell and scream into your mind, it can never be who you were. That's yesterday. It can never be again. It's been destroyed. It's been broken down. It's shameful. And it's been burned. It can never be. But Jesus Christ died to restore all of that. And it may not look exactly like it was. No, it's going to look better. It's going to look better. It's going to look better. Oh man, I, I want to jump over there somewhere else, but let me just tell you, it's going to look better. And if you need the scripture, I'll give it to you after service. Okay. But let me not chase too many rabbits here. It's going to look, let me tell you how it's going to look better. It's because God's already got it all. Okay. He can make it look better. Let me show you. Y'all heard of second Chronicles I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, 29, 11. Let's read that one, but let's read verse 10 and verse 12 to give you the full context of everything it's saying, okay? 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10, 11, and 12. Now, this is David praying there at the temple before all the assembly. Now, this happened hundreds of years, okay, before the story we're in right now, okay? I, I want you to see what David is saying hundreds of years before the story of Nehemiah. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord. You need to get those two words right there. Yours, Lord. What he is about to say, he is going to attribute to God. He is going to say, It is yours, Lord. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And here's where we get our thought as 2911, that God is sovereign over everything because he owns it all because, and because he rules over all of it. You see, here, here's the thing then that you need to get personally out of this, is that God created and still owns every resource you will ever need in your life. He created it, and he still owns it. Because I know, I know what we think is, you know, it's because when I tell people, I say, well, God owns, he owns all the money in the world. I think, no, 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 that's in other people's bank accounts. That's what people think, you know? It's like even Christians, we kind of think that a lot. Say, and I say, well, God owns it all. I say, well, yeah, but, you know, they, they say that, you know, God owns, the, uh, you know, 
the cattle of a thousand hills, and then somebody said, yeah, and then he owns the hills, and then somebody else said, yeah, and the taters under those hills, and, and you know, and we heard, I've heard that all of my life, you know, but somebody else says they got their brand on the cattle. They got their name on the deed on the land, and so we don't, we don't grasp this, that what, what David was saying there. He said, God, you own it all. God created it, and he still owns it, and I want to show this to you, because this, this is what set Nehemiah up. This is what set them up to rebuild Jerusalem. So you need to get this because this is what's going to set you up for you to rebuild that place. Remember what that place is? That place, that thing that, that is broken, that thing that's not 100%, that, things that, that thing that is burned and can never be what it was, that, that identity that's totally lost and totally gone. This is what set Nehemiah up. This is what's going to set you up, okay? So over, a little over 200 years before Nehemiah was alive and even knew that he would need anything, God was already at work, Okay? A little over 200 years. Here's what happened. Is God spoke through Isaiah. And here we got the word, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. God speaks through Isaiah and he says, when I say of Cyrus, remember this name, this is Cyrus, the first king of the Medo-Persian empire. And this is 200 years before he lived. When, when Isaiah wrote this. When I say of Cyrus, God is speaking, he is my shepherd. God says, he will certainly do as I say. Cyrus will command, rebuild Jerusalem. Cyrus will say, restore the temple. God spoke this 200 years before Nehemiah even, even lived, before Cyrus even lived, before there was a Medo-Persian empire. God speaks this and says, this first king named Cyrus, he's going to do what I say, and he's going to say, rebuild Jerusalem and restore the temple. And so God has set this up. I understand, 200 years before, Okay. All right? We're leading up back up to our story of Nehemiah, but we're 200 years out and God is already speaking. He's already prophesying. Oh, is anybody getting that? He's already prophesying about Nehemiah's situation. So let's fast forward about 200 years into the future. And now we're just a few years behind the story of Nehemiah in the book of, of, of Ezra, Ezra. And this, this is chapter one. This is how the book of Ezra begins. We'll begin at verse two. And here Ezra records what Cyrus decrees. Who's Cyrus? The one that Isaiah prophesied about 200 years ago. Who's Cyrus? He is the one that sets all this in motion. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. That's what verse two begins with. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. That's what uh, the king of the Persian empire, not the king of Israel, not the one who serves the, the God of Israel, but that's what he says. Is he is looking back to the prophecies of Isaiah, and he said, he's read them, obviously. He said, he said, the God of Israel has given me all the kingdoms because he's come in and he has overthrown the Babylonian empire, and now he is the world empire, and he gives God credit for it. And my goodness, there, 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 is, there is something there that ought to stir us to hear that a king of, you know, an evil king, I mean, you know, a king that doesn't really worship God, but when he finds out that God has promised this and it happened, he's saying, man, he said, get everything that this, that this God has. He's saying, if God, if their God is prophesying that, and he says it, I'm going to get every bit of it. Man, we Christians, we need to catch that. That if an evil king can say, if this God is really who he says, then I'm going to get every bit I can of what he is prophesying. We need to do the same. Okay, and so he goes on. He says, um, he says any of his people, this is where the decree comes, where all the Israelites get to move back to Jerusalem if they want to. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. But he goes on another step. 
And here's how God, the God who owns everything, even though it looks like somebody else has got their name on the deed, this is, this is how we see how God owns everything because the king declares in, in any locality where there are Jews surviving from that Babylonian empire that I overthrew, where those survivors are that may still be living in any locality, the people of that locality are to provide the Jews with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. You see, God is still in charge. He still owns everything. Amen? Yeah, you can give God a hand of praise. Especially if you're beginning to connect the dots for yourself. Because we're not done yet. We're not back to Nehemiah just yet. But it's already being set in place, isn't it? 200 years ago, God is prophesying how I'm going to take care of you Jews and rebuild my temple. And, and about 10 years before Nehemiah knows he's got to do it, God, God has already prophesied. Or it's more than that. It's, it's several generations of, of Persian rulers before Nehemiah really comes into the picture. And so now several generations, Nehemiah's working for several generations of Persian rulers from Cyrus down to Artaxerxes now. It's where Nehemiah, you got to see this, okay? You got to see this one. We're back to the story of Nehemiah now, okay? So we've progressed. Here we are. God has set all this up. He prophesied about Cyrus. Cyrus did it. And now God is also working through Artaxerxes. Daniel says this is Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7. Daniel is talking to his king, and I said to him, I got to go back. He said, I got to go back to Jerusalem. I got to rebuild the city. You know, your predecessor, Cyrus, king of Persia, you know, your family, you know, it's already decreed. We got to rebuild this. I got to go back, but I'm going to need some help, King Artaxerxes. And he says, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. He said, I need, I need a letter. Because when I go back, through, I'm going to go back through a lot of neighboring countries. I'm going to go back through a lot of places that don't like me. I need something that says you're going to protect me, that I've got this right, that I can go do and I can go take care of. I can, I can handle whatever I need to handle. And may I have a letter to Asaph also, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the, by the temple and for the city wall. Okay, so now he goes on, he says, and I need you to write me a blank check. He said, I want you to tell, tell Asaph that when I come out of your royal forest, he will give me the wood that I need to build the temple, or the walls around the temple, and to build the walls around the city, to restore the citadel. I need you. And then he goes on further. Nehemiah is bold. Because then he goes on to say, I don't just need the, the, the wood for, for uh, the uh, citadel and the city wall, but also for the residence I will occupy. So he says, I, I need you to tell Asaph, the one who, who, who is in charge, who manages your royal forest, I need you to tell him, give me all the wood that I need. Give me all the wood I need for the citadel, for the wall, and for my own personal residence. And what do you, th what do you think this king's going to you? Can you imagine you going in tomorrow morning just to your boss, not a king, but just your boss, and saying, you know what, I need to fix some things here around the office. I need you to write me a letter that tells all the department heads, stay out of my way, I'm working on your behalf. Some of you are already smiling. <laughs> Not where I work, Pastor. You don't know where I work. I need, I need you to write that, tell them, stay out of my way, and then I, I need you to just give me, you know, give me a blank check, credit card, whatever you got, so that I can pay for all the stuff we're going to need to fix this company. Is there a person in this room that believes they can go tell their boss that tomorrow and they get anything out of their boss, other than a pink slip? <laughs> Amen. And he was talking to a king. There is no reason whatsoever that the king would say yes 
unless God was at work. You see, you're saying that'll never happen in my office tomorrow. The only way it would happen in your office tomorrow is if God were at work, right? And the only way this is going to happen is if God were at work. And look what it says. The very, very next phrase is why it happened. Because of the graciousness of God. It ain't going to happen because you're an awesome worker and your boss is going to say, okay, let's go back to your thing, that this is the thing in my, my life I need. I need restored. I need rebuilt. I, I need healed. I need, I need that, that restoration completed and done. It's not going to happen because of who you are, but it might happen if you'll stop ignoring him and you'll start, you'll start listening to him and you'll start going his direction and allowing it. It might happen by the gracious hand of God. And Nehemiah said, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. And so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters, basically said, stay out of my way and don't you touch me because I'm, I'm working on behalf of the king. And the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Now, just, I, I said in early service, I, I'm just a little boy at heart still. I don't know anybody my age that you grew up on watching those old cowboy westerns or whatever, and you know, some of them are still around, you can catch them. Those old black and whites, you know, I've watched those reruns. You know, you know, anybody, you know, some, some of you smiling and you're leaning around talking to your spouse, say, yeah, I remember those or something. Okay, some, a few of you, whatever. You know what happens when the cavalry shows up? You hear that, you hear that bugle sounding in the distance? You know, there's the cowboy, you know, he's struggling just to, and then all of a sudden you hear the bugle and you know, what do you know? You know it's done. The cavalry, the cavalry is on the way. You know it's done. It's had, he even had the cavalry. I mean, to me, this little little boy in a big body right here. I mean, that's like God's just saying, hey, it's done because I'm sending the cavalry with you as well. Okay, so here's the, here's the picture that I get. Is Nehemiah is going back to Jerusalem, and he has got the authority, he has got a plan, and he's got the king's credit card. And he's going back to Jerusalem. And he's bringing it all back, and he's bringing restoration and they're gonna rebuild the city. And it's going to happen because he's got the authority, because he's got the plan, because he's got the king's credit card. And you and I serve a king with a whole lot more authority, a greater plan, and an unlimited credit limit on his credit card. You and I serve that kind of king. And because of that, because of that, we can be assured. We can be assured. And so it makes me wonder, what has God already prepared for your situation? Think about it. There was a song many, many years ago. Uh, I remember, I think first church I worked, I heard somebody sing it called, he grew the tree, talking about God. He grew the tree that he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. You think about that? The old rugged cross that you and I, we, we'd look to and say, that's where Jesus grew. He, God made sure that tree was grown. I had the thought some years ago about, you know, David going down to the, going down to the creek, you know, and when he was gonna have to fight Goliath and he reached down and he found five smooth stones. How long are those, you know, if they're smooth and they're in a creek, they've been there for a long time, right? I mean, you know anything about, you know, nature, science, and that, you know that they've been there a long time, and the water rushing over them. 
just knocking off those edges, knocking off those corners, making them smooth. Why? Because David needed it. Oh, may, may, maybe God didn't, but he's going, maybe, maybe God just sent an angel to last. I said, make sure there's five smooth stones down there for David because he's going to need them. He's going to have to keep his eye on the giant while he's picking up those stones. He can't look. He's got to find them in a hurry or what. God does those things. You want proof? I've preached it to you this morning. Go back 200 years, and before Nehemiah knew he had a problem, God had already provided the solution. You listen. Before you knew you had this problem that is in your mind today that I've asked you, I've dared you, before you knew you had the problem, God had already, has already provided the solution. I wonder, what has God done to set you up for your victory? Can I ask you to do something with me? Would you join me at the front? If you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song, and we would love to have you join us. If you feel comfortable, please, please come and join us. Listen, um, sometimes I don't preach on specific needs, and if you've got a need, please come and let us pray with you, okay? The prayer team is begging to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Grab that scripture that says, we're to agree concerning anything. It shall be done of my Father in heaven. We want to join together. It only takes two. We want to join together and believe that God's going to do that for you. Wouldn't it be awesome? Here is, here is Nehemiah coming with the authority, coming with the plan, coming with the king's credit card. Here's Nehemiah coming with all. Wouldn't it be awesome for us to be able to do that as well? You just, need, you just need a letter of authority, right? You've got it. You've got it. It's called the Bible. Specifically, the part after Jesus came, what we call the New Testament. Specifically those. That Old Testament, it's got, it's got the stuff back before them, but specifically, everything in that New Testament, it's ours. All those promises, can I just give you one, okay? Because the, all of it's there. Can I just give you one? Luke chapter 10, verse 19. I mean, this, this, one, this, one, is, this one is almost as encompassing, all-encompassing as it can, there can be. Jesus Christ says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. That's not just talking about the, talking about the uh, uh, physical ones. It's talking about spiritual snakes and scorpions, spiritual enemies. I've, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. You see that word right there at the end of the first, first line next to the end right there? He says, I have given you what? Authority. You need, your, you need your letter of authority like Nehemiah? You got it. It's the New Testament in Jesus Christ. It's that new covenant that I talked to you about just a few weeks ago that he bargained for at Gethsemane. That's it. You have it. You have it. And you know, and the sad part about all those Jews in, in, in Israel is that they didn't know that God was working all this and, and they're just hovered there in their little bitty houses and thinking life will never be. And that's where some of you are. And you don't realize you've got the authority. There it is. Right, and if you go to the, if you go to the Sundays page, I've got a, two more verses that are right there. And, and if those don't do it for you, then please go to the whole New Testament. Just read and find out you've been given authority. You've been given promises. You've been given the promises. You don't just have a king's authority. You have the king's authority. You have his power, and you have all the resources of the entire universe for whatever that thing is in your life that you're saying, I need this from God today. And if it's your marriage, you know what? 
You know what you need to do? You need, you, you need to just say this. Jesus is Lord over my marriage. Jesus is Lord over my marriage. And when you go home today, I dare you, walk in the door. And if you don't, even, if you don't say it where anybody can hear you, just say it so you and one other person can hear you, just say, Jesus is Lord over this house. Because, you know, some of you, you live with your parents and your parents aren't Christians and you might go into your home and say, well, well the house belongs to them. Jesus isn't Lord over here because they're not even serving God. No, no, no. You didn't get it then. You understand. Jesus is still Lord over every, It doesn't matter whose name is on the deed. Jesus is still Lord. You need to go into your house and declare today, Jesus is Lord over this house. And Jesus is Lord of your situation. Because, you know what? The devil already knows Jesus is Lord. But he thinks you don't know Jesus is Lord. So you need to let him hear you say, Jesus is Lord over this house. Jesus is Lord. Bow your head, close your eyes with me. Jesus is Lord over. Finish that sentence. Come on, say it. Jesus is Lord over. What is that thing? What is that thing that, you, that, that I dared you and you said, okay, this is the place of my life that's not 100% or some of you say it's totally burnt or something in between, broken down or something. It's I'm ashamed of. This, this is the place. Then you need to say Jesus is Lord over this place. If it's your marriage, say it right now. Jesus is Lord over my marriage. If it's, if it's your, your job, then say Jesus is Lord over my job. Come on, say it right now. Start declaring it. Jamie, go ahead when you can. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord.